You're listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, the show for people who leverage the latest in technology to solve agronomic problems. If you're interested in on-farm application of precision ag technology, you've come to the right place. Get ready as we unpack the insights and experiences of the agronomic minds leading our industry forward. Today on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. All in all, over two years in my trial sites, it was a, a benefit of about $170 an acre Canadian uh, with a variable rate seeding strategy. So I think the economic return is, is definitely there. We can we can manage these areas of our field a little bit differently just by tweaking spacing. You know, it's not like we're putting extra fertilizer down or something. It's it, All we're doing is just kind of changing the distribution of the seed across the field. Senior precision agronomist Evan McDonald joins the show to talk about water, potatoes, and some of his research on Prince Edward Island in eastern Canada. If this is your first time listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm a communications consultant, an ag tech geek, and the host of the show. I've partnered with the SWAT Maps team on this podcast, and we hope you'll join us as we explore where the latest in agronomy meets the latest in technology. In addition to working full-time for crop domestic technology, Evan began pursuing a PhD in 2021 with a project focused on variable rate seed spacing in potatoes. He now has two years of data from trials showing that variable rate seeding of spuds can significantly impact farmer profitability. His career journey has been one of identifying missing pieces of the puzzle when it comes to precision ag and then trying to find and validate those pieces. And that's ultimately what led him to swap maps. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Evan is sharing some of his background that led to his career focus today. I grew up uh, in a rural area here and always worked on farms and stuff and dairy farms and some potato farms when I was younger and always liked geography and maps. So I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do and ended up taking some, some mapping courses and specialized kind of in GIS, so geographic information systems, which is basically just taking spatial data and trying to use it to uh, make better decisions. And I knew that I wanted to apply it in precision ag somehow. So my first actual kind of job in that was with Provincial Department of Agriculture. I had kind of started a little bit of a side gig a couple of years before that using drones, capturing aerial imagery to assess like fertilizer trials, different nitrogen treatments and things like that. And drones were awesome. Like in the early days, 2013, 2014, just to get that bird's eye view was great. And that kind of led me into using them for like mapping topography and things like that. So with the Department of Ag back then, I uh, started using drones to map elevations. We'd have a nice 3D model of a field. Um, and then uh, we'd also get really nice images. And what that was for was for more mitigating soil erosion and things like that. So we'd map a field in the spring, kind of assess some of the soil loss, come up with plans to try and uh, limit soil erosion. So basically slow water down on the field because, like I said, we're an area that's heavily under potato production. We do have bare soil a lot of times of the year. We haven't quite figured out no-till potatoes yet. Definitely erosion has been an issue, but farmers are are doing an awesome job of additional cover crops, trying to keep their soil in place because they're they're very quickly realizing how much of of an economic impact it has in addition to the environmental impact. So when I was working at that job, I, I really was kind of seeing those, uh, how much of, a, of an impact topography was having. And, 
And yeah, drones were a great tool for that. And I guess I kind of realized later that they were just really one minor piece of the puzzle. They were great at topographic mapping, assessing crop in season. But what really could we use them for, for, you know, on the precision ag practical applications? So then I, I knew I had to get more into figuring out variability in, in the actual soil that our crops were growing in, since that's where farmers do spend a lot of their money. Right. And uh, talk more about kind of like realizing that drones were only one piece of the puzzle, you know, specifically for you, what were you running into to realize like, okay, we're not, we're not getting everything we need here. Yeah. Like one thing that's commonly toted about drones is scalability is an issue, right? So it's cumbersome to have to manually fly them everywhere, have, you know, ideal conditions with hopefully no variable cloud and all that and deal with wind and everything and, you know, clouds, shadows, that kind of thing. Scalability is, is one thing, but the other thing is just what can we actually use them for in season? And now I think they're actually finding their niche, whereas the early days they were kind of being sold as this like magic kind of thing that was going to solve all our problems. Like I mentioned, they're great at, at assessing the condition of the crop in the season. It'll tell us where issues are and that kind of thing, but um, not really telling us what the problems are. So, you know, in terms of influencing variable rate decisions for seed or fertilizer or irrigation, a lot of those decisions now are, are, they've always been made before the start of the year, especially in potatoes, a lot of things are going on in through the planter. So we don't have a crop to grow, you know, do we have past imagery and stuff we can look at? Yes, but just because an area on an image is, you know, showing weak in terms of NDVI or something like that, it doesn't really tell us why. So that's what kind of led me into SWAT was that it was kind of explaining the reasons why an area might be poorly performing. And at the end of the day, it's, it's really all tied to water. And I think anywhere in agriculture, water is just, you know, one of the main drivers of, of yield variability for sure, but also fertilizer uptake and crop growth and all that kind of thing. So yeah, that's kind of how I, how I went from looking at drones as a bit of a tool to realizing that they are just that here is more of a crop assessment tool in season. Very cool. And so in your master's then that was dealing with drones and what was the kind of, what was the question at that time that you ended up getting your master's around? Yeah, the master's project was mostly focused on using drones for looking at NDVI imagery in the season and trying to really pick out at what time was ideal NDVI imagery for a potato crop to kind of determine yield variability. What we found was like even early in the season, the early crop growth was, was pretty indicative of what the yield would look like at the end of the year. So that was great. Now, in terms of what you might use that for, you know, it could be for variable rate nitrogen applications and things like that, but more like kind of projecting what your yield might look like and some of that spatial variability in the field and how it was uh, measured with NDVI. And it did do a good job. And what we found kind of at the end of that project was that, well, the areas that were performing well, well, guess what? It was tied to topography and mostly tied to water. It was kind of a dry season when I was collecting data for, for that project. And, you know, it really stuck out that topography was having a huge impact. And at that point, had you already heard about SWAT or did that kind of come later? No, I hadn't heard about SWAT until probably the, I would say later in 2019 or something like that. So after I had left the provincial department of agriculture and kind of went out into the private world uh, in ag retail, that's when I was really kind of searching for a solution to, to offer farmers here, something that was different than traditional like grid sampling and that kind of thing. And that's when I came upon SWAT and 
researched, you know, a, a few different options out there. And we had some previous research done here with electrical conductivity and kind of management zone, some early, early stuff that was coming out of the university and looked promising. And I really thought that, okay, well, this seems to be picking up a little bit of traction around here. Farmers are getting a little bit familiar with it. So we went with, uh, with swap maps um, my first year with that ag retail and and it went really well in the first year. It was kind of a concept that you could communicate pretty easily and a farmer would, would understand it, just really in the context of water. Had they already done work in potatoes? I know they came from kind of the field crops. Uh, had they already done work in potatoes before that time? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think this is kind of the first, uh, the first little dive into potatoes was out here on the East Coast. There may have been some small trials and stuff out west, but not, not that I'm aware of. So Precision Ag here has been in place for a few decades. Like since the early 90s, they've been doing things like grid sampling and that. And potatoes are a high value crop. So, uh, you know, we spend a lot of money on fertilizer and feed and that kind of thing. So one or two percent either way can make a big difference. It was actually uh, probably easier than I thought to get buy in on this concept in the first year here. Wow. And and what have the results been so far as far as, um, you know, the difference between grid sampling and this approach or only grid sampling and this approach? You know, what what have you seen? Well, I think it's it, they're two totally different uh, concepts. So, yeah, some farmers will say, you know, I want to compare one to the other. But it's really not apples to apples. So I think with grid sampling here, it, it has its its areas where it is applicable, like part of your field has been recently cleared and you want to, you know, collect some samples from that, that area and get an understanding on, you know, what's the pH level in there, that kind of thing. It's, it's very valuable in, in places like that, but it really is missing the mark on accounting for one of the main drivers of, of course, yield and fertilizer uptake, which is water. Like with grid, we're just throwing uh, some squares down and, and taking points from the center. We're not really accounting for What's that likelihood that that nutrient's going to be taken up by the crop, you know, relative to how much soil moisture and things might be there? So that's kind of how it started here. We're just having those conversations with farms that had been grid sampling in the past and then showing them some maps. You know, here's, here's how things look even within a, you know, a two and a half acre square on your field. Um, you know, we might have a, a water holding depression. We might have, a, you know, an eroded sandy hilltop within 200 feet of one another, and, and they may respond quite differently to fertilizer applications. So now we have the technology to map it, and then we can, you know, use the equipment capability to manage it. So just having those conversations about it was kind of how it all got started. Do you have data yet as far as what types of efficiencies growers that are switching to SWAT are seeing in potatoes, either in reduced inputs or higher yields or both? Yeah. So one of the uh, the things as part of my my PhD project is looking at using SWAT for variable rate feeding. Of course, I can I can mention some of that. But in terms of like reduced amounts of fertilizer or increases in yield, we've done some trials here um, in the past using variable rate potash. That's typically what a lot of a lot of folks do apply here. Variable rate is lime and potash. So, and in most cases, it ends up using you know it might be a similar amount of of fertilizer going on, but um, we have seen the bumps in yield of, you know, where it easily pays for the mapping costs and then it's going to generate a few dollars extra an acre in terms of profitability because of uh, differences in yield. So around here, we might just look at, okay, 
for the most part, our soils are sandy loam and they're well-drained. We don't usually have issues with excess water. Sometimes we do in, in certain specific areas of a field we do, but we might just get a little bit more realistic about some of our yield goals after, you know, seeing our swap maps, looking at some field history information and talking with the farmer. Um, and that's a way where we can, we can really understand where we might need to cut back. I kind of look at it as a bit of a managing risk. We can understand the areas where it may make sense to cut back, the areas where it may make sense to push harder. I think that was one of the main goals of grid sampling here in the past. And one of the early goals of precision ag was like, okay, let's balance this whole field out. When we've kind of realized over time that that's pretty difficult to do. And, and one of the things we have to keep in mind is like just dealing with what mother nature gave us. We have differences in our, you know, our soil types across the field or topography, that kind of thing. They're, those are things that aren't really changing from season to season. And that's really what we're trying to capture with SWAT is, is those long-term kind of stable characteristics of the field. Uh, not so much the things that change from year to year. So at the end of the day, like the soil test is, is one piece of the puzzle. Whereas with something like grid sampling, it really is, that is all you have with it is just the results of that soil test. So, you know, we, we will soil sample on a zone basis and then take those base levels that we get from the soil test and use them to inform our prescriptions. But really that's one piece of the puzzle. Then with our map, we're able to say, okay, we know this is a dry hilltop. In some cases, we might put more of a product on there if we think it'll get a response. In some cases, we might put less because we're going to say this is a low-yielding zone and we're not expected to get the return on investment there. Okay. Talk about the variable rate seeding. I know that's kind of what you're focused on for your PhD work. So uh, maybe tell us about what you're seeing there and kind of how your research is designed and what you're seeing there so far. Yeah, so we've done that here on uh, six fields over two years, five different potato varieties. I guess the reason I kind of pursued that a little bit here is because there's kind of been a lack of research in that practice in North America, I would say. It's been done a little bit in Western Europe. But with potatoes being such a high value crop, uh, we felt there was a lot of potential there. So so kind of how those trials are set up is, is we've done strip trials through these fields where a farmer would have three different spacings in the field. They would have their standard spacing. So for a variety like Russet Burbank here, that might be 15 inch between seed within the row. Then we would do a, a 10% tighter and a 10% wider spacing than normal and do about 24 rows, I believe, of each uh, strip through the field. Of course, their standard was through the rest of the field. It would already been swap mapped. So then at harvest time, we would dig strips. Uh, common practice in potatoes is to dig a 10-foot strip and then take those and, and grade them. So looking at things like size profile, which is very important. You know, depending on what you're growing the potatoes for, size profile uh, differences can have a huge impact on what your, your payout looks like at the end of it. So, you know, if it's for French fries, a lot of times they want like bigger size potatoes. Um, whereas if it's for something like seed or chip stock, it might be smaller. We did that in six fields across PEI over two years. And what we found was that uh, I believe it was four out of six times the variable rate seeding approach made more money than a, than a flat rate approach. So a uniform rate of seeding. In some cases, it was up to $900 an acre difference. Basically how things shook out there was like where we, where we have our kind of drier hilltop areas, kind of consider those SWAT zone ones. Where we space seed out further apart, those areas did better than where they were, you know, a standard spacing. 
standard spacing, maybe those plants are competing for nutrients and moisture that aren't really there. Um, with a wider spacing, it generated a better size profile and a better yield. What we would consider kind of stronger areas of the field here, so kind of as we get down in the landscape a little bit, not quite into a complete depression area where there's a risk for a drownout, but just kind of up a little bit from that where it's well-drained, generally more moisture on that area of the field. Those are the areas where when we push things a little bit, uh, the yield seemed to, to show up there and we weren't really impacting, you know, we weren't coming up with a bunch more small potatoes. The size profile was still nice there in that area of the field. So that's kind of the approach that we thought would be the way to go going into it, but we wanted to have kind of some numbers to back it up. So all in all, over two years in my trial sites, it was a benefit of about $170 an acre Canadian uh, with a variable rate seeding strategy. So, you know, if we apply that across a 2,400 acre farm, say 800 acres a year, uh, it starts to add up pretty quickly. So a lot of the farms have the capability in their planters to do it, or they might need a small retrofit. And it may make sense to to get a new planter. If it's something you're thinking of, it might be you know beneficial to look at one that has variable rate spacing capability because I think the economic return is is definitely there. We can we can manage these areas of our field a little bit differently just by tweaking spacing. You know, it's not like we're putting extra fertilizer down or something. It's it, all we're doing is just kind of changing the distribution of the seed across the field. That's great. As you said, uh, 24 acre farm, so 800 acres. Is that because three-year rotation exactly, on the potatoes? Yeah. Okay. yeah, I didn't mention that. Sorry. Yeah, typically a three-year rotation here is what we have. Yep. And what other crops are they rotating in in your area? Um, a lot of crops, uh, we kind of consider them to be, I guess, soil building crops is kind of common now. Some have biofumigant properties like mustard and things like that. So they'll actually uh, use mustard, brown mustard and Caliente mustard and things like that. And they have uh, properties to mitigate like impacts of certain pests like wireworm. And so they'll plow them down and try and benefit their, their whole rotation that way. They might, you know, they, they're crops that they're probably not making money on, but they are making money. Hopefully when the potatoes come around, they're seeing benefits in terms of yield there. You know, winter wheat's common to put on and fall rye and things like that after harvest. You know, if we're done in time and we can get a, you know, a crop to grow before the winter, try and cover the soil. The traditional um, rotations have been like potatoes, grain, hay. So a lot of barley and then forage crops and things like that. There's still some, uh, some dairy and beef around. So there is some swapping of land and things like that. A lot of talk about rotational grazing and stuff in the future. So to try and, you know, work those two cropping systems in with one another, but mostly, you know, it'll be potatoes, something like grain and then a forage crop. And obviously you're looking at variable rate seeding on this uh, project. What other areas do you suspect there might be room for more precision agronomy in potatoes as you, as you think about just broadly? Um, well, of course, potatoes love water. So irrigation is, is definitely one. So we are going to have a trial here through a, a grad student at the university. It'll start next year where we'll look at the effects of variable rate irrigation on the crop. And that's with, uh, you know, a center pivot with speed control. So we would like to see, you know, a trial with nozzle control here, but we just don't have the equipment uh, in place yet. And for the most part, water quantity isn't a real concern here. It's, uh, you know, we have lots of groundwater recharge and that kind of thing. So if we were paying for our water, then, you know, variable rate irrigation 
with nozzle control might be more easier to justify. It's an expensive upfront cost, but we're going to go with the speed control trial here. So irrigation's one. Definitely can see uh, applicability for things like soil applied herbicides. Like there are patterns in the field, seems to be from year to year, where maybe it is our lower spots where we're seeing more certain weeds pop up. That could be a, a one. And, you know, something like SWATCAM could come into play there uh, where we're seeing that some of those issues early in the season. Maybe we go through with another pass and try and hammer those spots that are that are causing us problems. And then in the at the end of the season, things like variable rate top kill applications, I think uh, I think SWATCAM could even have a an impact there. Where if we need a second pass, we've collected some imagery on our first one, go in with the second one, and and we may have a better idea which areas of the field are just staying greener longer. That that would be another one for sure. So. Yeah, probably a lot more possibilities to come as we get into some more of this technology. But what I always say to every farmer is like, okay, you need some technology to apply this in the field first before we even think about, you know, making a map for your farm. So, yeah, you have to have the equipment to do something with it. We're not just going to hand them off a map that they can put up on the shelf or look at on their iPad. We got to have some some practical applications. Yeah, yeah, it's not wall art. No, it's not um, yeah. What about, uh, is is that what you're referring to with the variable rate nozzles? They're just, the technology's not there yet. Is that right? Well, with the uh, nozzles, in terms of irrigation, um, there isn't a center pivot here that has that built in yet. I guess farmers haven't seen the potential benefits of variable rate irrigation in this landscape anyway, in our area where we have lots of water. There's a number of pivots that have the ability to do the speed control. So, you know, we get up on, say, a higher, drier area of the field, we can slow the pivot down, put a little more water on. Say, a lower landscape area, we can speed it up a bit. With nozzle control, we'd have just more ability to change it within that span, but we just don't have that equipment here yet. In terms of spraying, there are a number of sprayers, of course, that can do it. These guys are going out into the field every seven to 10 days through the growing season with fungicide applications. So those are, are areas where we have a lot of potential to capture imagery with things like SWAT cam. When the canopy is fully grown over, you're not going to see a lot of differences. You know, with SWAT cam, the main goal originally is kind of looking at emergence and plant spacing and plant counts. But through the growing season with potatoes, I think there's potential for things like using it as a scouting tool. Right. And, and, what would you ballpark the percentage of, of farmers in your area that, you know, are under irrigation? Uh, it's only about, I think, 7% of all potato acres here are irrigated. It was just so obvious in, in 2020, the, the impact of water. Like, I did some work on looking at differences in terms of yield, like on a dry hilltop versus a, a depression area. And farmers will say, oh, it was, you know, the yield was just terrible everywhere. And it was, but there was probably 30 to 40% differences there in, in some of these areas on a field that would have had a bit more moisture. Like it can just, you know, probably some more topsoil depth, able to retain some of those nutrients and moisture a bit longer. And you could see it in the plants. You could see it in the canopy cover in some areas of the fields, like the rows didn't even close over. It was so dry. Yeah, it, it's definitely noticeable in a dry year more than ever. But what kind of did surprise me the last couple of years with these trials was where we had good years in terms of rain, it was almost like every field was irrigated. The differences were still clearly there. Like, I think that sometimes years where we have adequate moisture can mask some of these, you know, precision ag strategies and things like that. You can think about, okay, well, you know, everything's good. We've, it's got the water that it needs. We're, we're not overflowed with water. 
you know, maybe we won't see differences, but but they were still definitely there. So I think strategies like variable rate seeding could have even more of an impact on a dry year. So yeah, it was promising to see that when things were good in a good year, we were still able to drive profitability significantly. Oh man, that's great. Well, well, what else? I always like to ask while I get somebody like yourself on that's thinking about, you know, both agronomy and technology so much, what other, you know, technologies that are out there are you looking at or you think are interesting or technologies that you're watching that they hopefully get to the point where they're, they're usable in the future? Well, one thing I guess is uh, some of these drone applications, we've talked about drones more for kind of on the imaging side, but I think in the future, some of the application side with things like cover crop seeding, maybe wet areas of the field, perhaps it's, you know, certain uh, micronutrient applications, or I think that uh, that's, that's quite exciting in terms of when we get into swarm technology and being able to have multiple of these that can go along and, and seed. I just think until it gets really autonomous, it's going to be tough to cover a large amount of acres. Like it might be better suited to a place like here in, in Prince Edward Island where our fields are small, you know, our average field size is 30 acres. So a lot of these drones have the capability now to carry, you know, the payload that they need to, to see the field uh, in a relatively short amount of time without, you know, driving across the field because soil compaction is a big concern here. So I am a bit excited about that. I'd like to see uh, where that goes in the next few years. Yeah. And then I think uh, satellite imagery keeps getting better and better in terms of like how often they're flying over and the resolution so I think uh, imagery is, is still, you know, it's something I've spent a lot of time working in. We're just kind of starting to figure out some of the real applications in potatoes that we can use that for too. So I often say to guys like, yeah, well, you're going to have swap maps is more about the start of the year and planning out your seeding and fertilizer applications and things like that. And then imagery is something where we can use it through the year, you know, in combination with things like SWAT camp, because we know that satellites are great at showing us maybe problem areas and things like that, but uh, we're not quite there in terms of, okay, that's this specific type of weed where SWAT cam can kind of pick that up. You know, we're not doing plant counts with satellites. We can do that with drones, of course, but it's still a little bit cumbersome in terms of dealing with all that high resolution data. So uh, I think it's a combination of kind of tying some of these technologies together. And uh, yeah, I know lots of exciting things to come in egg. Cool. Something to watch. Yep. Well, all right. Last question. I always ask every guest if if they can, you know, give us some uh, punctuation on the episode. So either, you know, something that you really want uh, an audience of tech interested agronomists to leave with or kind of your mini TED talk, whatever message you'd like to leave uh, the audience with. Yeah, I think uh, I think just mainly to sum it up, think about water. Uh, if we can manage that across the field, not not necessarily in a way of irrigation, but just think about how water impacts your crop where, you know, there's going to be wetter areas of a field, there's going to be drier areas of a field. Think about how that impacts maybe seeding rates, you know, in something like potatoes. It might be a totally different uh, method than something like uh, winter wheat. We might do different rates, but water is going to have an impact on how that crop grows, how fertilizer is taken up. So if I could... Uh, Say one thing to farmers and agronomists, just, you know, think about that variability across the field. It might seem minimal, uh, but it does certainly show up when it's dry. It definitely shows up when it's wet. And even in an average year or with good, adequate moisture, it's, it's still there. It's still showing up and we have the equipment to map it and we have the equipment to manage it. 
All right. Well, thank you so very much to Evan McDonald for sharing his research and his experiences here on the show today. Uh, to learn more about his work, you can follow him either on Twitter at EMacDonaldAg, or you can connect with him on LinkedIn. We'll leave links to that in the show notes. Uh, or you can just check out the website, which is just SwapMaps.com. Are you finding value in this podcast? If so, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And also, please uh, leave us a rating and review either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. If you have any recommendations for guests or topics or questions, please tweet them to us by using the hashtag SWAT Agronomy.